On today's episode, Jen's chronic pain success story. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. I have the one of the one of my most favorite conversations that I've had in probably the last 12 months. And I was grateful for Jen for reaching out and saying, hey, Brody, um, had PHT. I've managed to overcome it in a, a different way. I've managed to um, do my own research in terms of the mind-body connection, chronic pain, pain science, and really do some deep dives. Took a lot of hard work, but now I'm now I can gladly say that um, I'm out of the woods and I want to share my story. And um, so Jen does and did have PHT, uh, and her, her story is so compelling and I'm so excited to share it. Um, I originally had this scheduled out to be released, I don't know, maybe in about two months, but I just kept sharing it and sharing it just the raw audio with a lot of clients that I have and other people. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to bring this forward up the feed and just release it because it's such a, a great story and Jen spoke really well. Um, she's really done her research and this is going to help a lot of people. So thought I'd get it out there and I know you're going to enjoy it. So let's bring on Jen. Jen, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be on. We have plenty to talk about today and a few new things that might be a bit different from a typical success story. Um, so we're going to go through the initial stages, um, going to sort of glance over them. So would you mind starting off with introducing yourself and how you first developed PHT? Um, yeah, so I'm Jen and um, I've been running for about seven or eight years now, um, more consistently in the past five. Um, but basically, um, late 2020, I decided I was going to start training for a half marathon. I wanted a PR. I was successful like a lot of runners, I was like, okay, so next is the marathon. Um, so I had a coach at the time and I asked, you know, do you think it's feasible for me to transition from coming off a half marathon training block, going right into a marathon in two months? And he was kind of hesitant, but said, yeah, sure. Like we can make it happen. Um, so a few weeks before the marathon was supposed to start, um, it was delayed for COVID. So it was supposed to be January, 2020, it got pushed back to March, which was kind of a blessing because that's right about the time I started having my symptoms. Um, so it started in my left hamstring and it was just kind of this dull ache and it was annoying. Um, but it wasn't something I couldn't run through. It only affected me a little bit. I noticed it at work when I sat, um, I have standing desks, so I just started using it more and I just kind of was ignoring it. Um, then it started to get worse. And on one particular day, I was doing a speed workout um, and I was on the treadmill because it was cold outside. And I just remember I had this shooting pain. Uh, like it was kind of nagging at me. And then all of a sudden there was this intense pain. And I 
I reached back because it hurt so bad. And I remember feeling my hamstrings and my left hamstring was like contracting like really aggressively. And, you know, I did all the wrong things and I finished the workout because that's what that's what we do. Um, <laughs> I got off the treadmill and I stretched that made it worse. And that was the point where I was like, OK, I need to go see a PT. Um, so I went to my therapist and he um, he said, and I quote, it sounds like you have a bit of um, ten, uh, hamstring tendon tendonitis. So I Google that. I'm like, all right, a couple weeks, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Do a couple exercises. Um, and that was not the case. So from January to March, um, I was working with him, changing my exercises, and then right up into the marathon, it was starting to feel better. So I did my first marathon. It was great. Um, like I finished not a great time, but, um, I, I, I was really accomplished and I didn't have any hamstring issues. Well, um, a few days later I was really sore, which is unusual. I'm just, I guess I'm lucky in the sense that like, I typically don't get sore, but after the marathon, like my body just felt wrecked. So I thought, okay, I'll go to a yoga class and have like, try to stretch it out. And I like, it had a huge flare up. Um, I felt it in the class, but like always, I pushed through. And after it was like eight out of 10 pain. And wow. it, it was for days. And so that's kind of the point where I had the the first big flare up from my injury. Yeah. <clears throat> I think in relation to your presentation, we, we see like speed, running speed is very correlated with proximal hamstring stuff, proximal hamstring strain, and then increase in symptoms. And so uh, the first thing that comes to mind is your training for the half marathon to start with and you're trying and you're training for a PR, which, you know, I would assume involves a fair bit of speed work and tempo work and like, you know, just trying to really push your capabilities, uh, which was the first onset of symptoms. And then the next sort of, I guess, hiccup was a speed session during the treadmill stuff. Um, and so you can kind of fit that correlation there as well. Um, but it just seems like that initial, uh, that stretching after the marathon, maybe there was a little bit of um, irritation after the marathon that whether that's asymptomatic or not, maybe like your whole body was just so wrecked and so um cooked that it might have been hard to register that it might have been irritated and then the the yoga class would have set something off would it be on the the right track with that would you agree with that yeah and just looking back at my training going from the half to the full marathon like I did a lot of things wrong like my easy runs were not easy um my hard days like I probably didn't rest to recover very well um I was just constantly trying to get faster and I know that's wrong now Um, but you know, at the time, like I just, I was doing way too much. It was just a recipe for an injury. So I'm not surprised looking back that that happened, but yeah, like I just, after the marathon, I remember my body was really sore and it's definitely possible that I didn't, I just didn't register it like that. It was also a problem, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I landed with that. Well, it might not be that you didn't register, but your body didn't register it. Like when your whole body is like really sore and achy and has this like just general muscle soreness, then injuries might not manifest like that. Those pain signals might not be sent in the way that they would if everything else was okay. And then that the tendon itself was a bit overloaded. The 
experience like you'd experience something completely different. It's very hard for the body to work out where to distribute pain. You can't distribute like really severe pain in multiple areas at once. It, used, it tends to prioritize things and um, help you out in that sense. But um, yeah, we're just speculating, but it's um, yeah, very, very interesting onset of symptoms and kind of just like how things developed. And so you mentioned an eight out of 10 pain after that yoga class and that it lasted days. Um, how long did that flare up last for? Like what did the next couple of weeks look like? So at that point, I knew I needed to go back to my physio. So I went to see him. Um, and basically what he told me was that I was doing too much body weight and I wasn't progressing enough into weights. So I was doing like bridges, both legs, single leg. I was doing um, some lighter hamstring curls on the machine. Um, I was doing isometric. So I'd have like a band tied around something and I'd have my um, hamstring contracting. And... Um, he, he kind of got me to progress there. So I, I switched into some weight bearing. I eventually got into like some deadlifting type things. Um, but the pain, it went, it wasn't like an eight anymore. It kind of went down to like slowly six, five, four, and then it kind of just hovered at the four. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, it hurt to run and it hurt to sit Um, and the days that it actually felt best were the days I did strength training. So when I would come home from the gym at that point for the next couple months, like those days felt pretty good, but just in general, I just had this like low level of pain that I was pushing through. Um, and at the time, you know, cause I'm always shooting for something else. I had decided I was going to train for a half Ironman. And so I was trying to push through the pain and, it just, it wasn't working. So around May, June, I decided I was going to drop that and just solely focus on the rehab. Um, so at that point I cut back my running, um, only slow, easy runs, focus on strength training three days a week. And I just, I kind of maintained that for a good bit of time until like, um, I, I wasn't seeing any progress. Um, so I, I consulted another physio, which is actually Marika, um, who is on your podcast. And, and, and she kind of, she changed my exercises and she just assured me that like, this takes time. And I told her, I was like, I'm frustrated. Like I got on Google, Google said four to six weeks, I'm doing all the things and like, it's not going away. And she said like, this is just one of those injuries that like it, it can take a while. So, and she pretty much told me to trust the process. Um, so I, I trusted her and I, I changed my exercises. She had me doing squats, um, she had me on the leg press machine, um, had me doing some single leg work. And I, I still was kind of at that like annoying low level of pain. Um, and then um, I, we got to November, hadn't seen a lot of improvements, but I was, it was a week when I was sick. And so I naturally had a deload week scheduled in my strength training. I had reduced load. And I went to the gym and did what I always did at a reduced load. And I had a huge flare up again. And right. I, I was just completely crushed because I couldn't figure it out. Like I wasn't, I didn't increase my run volume. I wasn't running fast. I wasn't doing anything different. I wasn't stressed. Um, I was doing less and I, it got worse. And so um, I got on with her again and she had me like do some elimination. So she's like, okay, we need to figure out what exercise it is. So today I don't, I want you to eliminate the leg press. Is it still, 
bothering you. Okay. No. All right. Let's eliminate the um, squat. Okay. Still bothering you. No. And the first red flag for me that something wasn't right, like something wasn't making sense, was that I went to the gym and I did absolutely no hamstring work and my pain was still there. Like, um, because now it had kind of switched. Before, my pain was the most on days that I ran or didn't do anything. And now the pain was the most on the days I strength trained. And so it just, I, I, was, I was kind of clueless because, um, or I was dumbfounded that, um, like, I could go to the gym and I could strength train and not do anything. Like, I could do calves, shoulder presses, and, like, my hamstring would still kind of have a mini flare-up that day. And so that's when I just hit a really low point. Like, and like looking back on it, like, I just, like, I don't know how I made it through the day sometimes. Like it, this injury and this pain consumed like every second of my day, every ounce of effort or focus that I had, like, it was all I could think about because it was just, it was always there. And I just, I felt hopeless because uh, this injury had taken away like my life. Like running and physical fitness is is and was my life. And I was at a point where I was doing everything I was told. And like, I'm a good student. So if I if someone gives me something to do and they say, this is what's going to fix it, like I'm going to follow it to a T. And I learned that lesson with my previous injury when I had um, when I uh, plantar fasciitis. You know, if I looking back on it, if I just would have done what I was told, I, it wouldn't have lasted so long. So I learned my lesson and I was just, I was like, I was in a really dark place, um, mm. at that point with, with my rehab and where I was at. Yeah. Like listening to your symptoms, we, as, as therapists, we try and say, okay, does, is the presenting symptoms, is it fitting something that's mechanical or is it fitting something that's like, you know, non-mechanical and when we talk about mechanical, we're talking about physical symptoms, responding to load, responding to like, you know, stress, responding to um, training and that sort of stuff. And initially it seemed like that might've been the case. You said that there was just this low lying four out of 10 pain uh, that wasn't really getting better, but you felt better on your strength days, which to me is like, okay, well maybe you're having this analgesic response to the workouts, which tends to happen with tendons. Um, not all the time, but, but most of the time. And so on the days where you're treating, you're giving that tendon, that slow, heavy load, it's enjoying that. And it has that dampening pain effect. Um, so that makes sense, but because it's not getting better week by week, it means that there's something chronically in your weekly schedule, whether it's too much training volume, whether you're running too fast on your easy days, or there's something in there that's, uh, the tendon isn't liking. So yes, you are getting that day or two response with the strength training, but not seeing that week by week response, because there's something there that's, um, not fostering that long-term healing. But like I say, then things are somewhere along the line had changed and wasn't starting to make mechanical sense that all of a sudden, um, unexplained flare-ups and those sorts of things, which looking back on it now with the stuff that you know now, is there any connection to why there would have been a flare-up or is it still a mystery? Um, honestly, it's still kind of a mystery. And, you know, the some of the physios I've spoken to and, and different individuals have, have kind of just, they've wanted me to say that like it was stress. But honestly, it, like I, I don't think it was stress. I did change my job. Um, and so the only thing I can think of is, 
So I was with the same company. I just got a different role. And the role that I moved into um, right before that time was more of an office job. And sitting was very stressful and painful. Like I, you know, went above and beyond to avoid a situation where I was going to have to sit. Like didn't go out to eat, didn't like go to friends' house and hang out, um, would avoid like certain like things I didn't have to go to at work because I knew I'd have to sit. And so I think maybe the anxiety of that um, could have kind of contributed to that. Um, but I'm not sure. So that's kind of the only thing I can think of that happened yeah. around that time. Yeah. Even just like explaining that because, you know, pain can be this physical thing, but it can also be this um, mental but social thing as well. And if you're like, like you have mentioned your mental well-being having been impacted, whether it was at that time or afterwards, because um, you mentioned feelings of helplessness, feelings of, okay, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, but then I'm having to peel back all these things that I love, like running and just fitness in general. But on the social side of things, if you are going above and beyond avoiding sitting, you're removing like a social context, you're removing dinner with family or like going out and seeing friends and those sorts of things. Um, it seems like it's very slowly starting to peel away like some of your social interactions and um, things that you would normally do, normally do to to give you joy in that sense. Did you have any other like outlets in terms of, did you feel like you were being pulled away socially and that sort of stuff? Or did you have other means? Would you go for walks with, with friends and that sort of stuff and able to maintain that balance? I, I felt like I, I maintained the balance, but it wasn't in a healthy way because like, yes, I would go, like I would go with friends and I would stand or we would go for a walk. But deep down inside, I was so upset about my situation that I couldn't enjoy it. So most of my friends are into fitness or running. And so they're talking about the races that they're doing or they're complaining about their training. And then I'm so I'm sitting here angry because I'm like, I would give anything to have like a five mile run today. Like I would love to do that. And it's, it's, I got stuck because I knew like no one understood, like no one could knew what was going on behind the curtain. Like I would go out and everything would seem fine and people are laughing. And in this whole, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like this freaking sucks. Like I'm in so much pain right now. Like I can't, I can't even see past it to enjoy this. So it wasn't, um, it, I don't think I, I, I found an outlet, but it, it didn't work. Mm. And, you know, and I look back on like, I used to get so angry because when I would, I wouldn't really talk about it a lot, but what I did and it came up, you know, people would say all this, all the, all the wrong things. And I say wrong in quotations because they didn't know like, well, have you tried stretching it? Well, have you tried taking a week off? Well, have you tried just seeing another physical therapist? Do you think you need surgery? You know, or like I would share, I would like, I would share with my boyfriend, for example, and I know that he had all the best intentions, but he would always say like, well, you know, I had a couple knee surgeries and you know, well, I've, I've had this, that, and the other thing, or someone would say, yeah, I've got a hip injury, but it's, it's the, the concept that no one knows exactly what you're going through right now. And I just felt like no one understood. No one understood yeah. what it had done to my life. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause one of my questions I was going to ask you was, did you have an outlet to like express the, the buildup of anger and frustration, all those sorts of things. And it seems like 
you did occasionally, but when you did occasionally, it was met with, you know, unhelpful stuff, um, which, you know, we can't expect our close friends and family to know exactly what to say to make things feel better. But um, yeah, they are trying to help. They are trying to offer you solutions. It's just, you know, it's very hard for them to know exactly what to say, but that gets frustrating because then you don't have an outlet and you feel like you are just building up a lot of this stuff. And um, if it was going on, if it was like a week of frustration, great that, that, you know, people can sort of take that. But when it happens month by month, and like you say, um, the last time frame you gave was sort of November, December. So it's going on like a good year of since that, like, well, it'd probably be about eight or nine months since that marathon. Um, so would really start to take a toll. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I just like the few times I let a little bit out, like it just, it wasn't productive and I didn't feel like I was getting what I needed, which was no one's fault. Like everyone had all the best intentions and, you know, I'll get into this a little bit later, but it wasn't until I started talking to a therapist that I felt like I had somebody who really understood what it was like. Mm, Right. There's, you mentioned to me that, um, you sort of not stumbled upon, but you start started investigating this relationship with this mind body connection and the relationship with pain to those sorts of things. I'm really curious about like what prompted that because I often talk to runners about pain science and try to get that message across and, um, you know, different people respond with that. Um, but very rarely do I see someone seek it without me prompting it. Do you know what I mean? So like, um, did someone suggest it to you or what prompted that? So I don't remember how, like how it initially came up, but I know the two things that kind of led me to think there's gotta be something else. So one was, I felt like I tried everything. So I had, um, I obviously tried the progressive rehab, modified my running. I had tried muscle activation therapy multiple times, even though it didn't work just because I was like, I I needed something to work. I tried rest. Um, I did shockwave therapy and I did, I got an x-ray and an MRI and every, nothing worked and everything looked fine. And so I was at a point where I'm like this, there's no way this can be physical. Like I know I'm a good student of the rehab. So I, I started seeking out like, what else could it be? Um, and so that's what kind of led me down the, the mind body, um, journey, the mind body pain. Um, but I, uh, so do you want me to go ahead and get into like what I found? Please. Okay. So I discovered, um, someone named Dr. Sarno and he is famous for his research with something called TMS. So it stands for tension myoneural syndrome. And basically what that is, is, um, he argued or argues that pain is the, is the result of a psychosomatic process. And basically there are emotional factors that play into effect um, rather than structural damage. So there's a couple different ways this can happen. And I'll caveat this by saying everybody's different. So everyone's TMS journey quote is, is different. No one's no two are the same, but um, there are a lot of different factors that can play into either transforming an injury from a true structural issue to mind body or just starting out with a mind um, body pain. And so um, for me, 
at first I, I kind of dabbled in this when I noticed something else peculiar. So the um, PhD started in my left hamstring. I went to Europe um, in June of 2021 with some friends and um, I did a, a 10K in London and I ran it with my friend and she's a little slower than me. So for most of the race, um, we went at what I would say was like a moderate effort. And we got to like the last like 10th of a mile. And I really wanted to, um, to push it. And I was like, hey, do you mind if I go ahead? So I, I lightly used the word sprinted. It wasn't an all out sprint, but I really gassed it to the end. And I finished and I started walking and I had no pain in my left hamstring, but I had pain in my right hamstring. And in that moment, I was like, what in the hell? Like, I like this, I, I'm never going to get away from this. And so from there, I came home, I was doing shockwave therapy on the left, as I was doing on the left, it was getting worse on the right. And so this is kind of building my foundation of belief of, you know, maybe there really isn't something structurally wrong with me, because it doesn't make a lot of sense that I had PHT in my left, did all this rehab, I've been running low mileage and then all of a sudden I have it in my right leg. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me that I would have injured the other side with the load that I had and the, the rehab exercises that I was doing. I mean, by that point I was deadlifting like 165 pounds for six reps and that like, that's a lot. So I felt like my hamstrings were strong. Um, so that's kind of the, the second key that really got me to go down the path of exploring my body. And, you know, perhaps it's not something structural, maybe for a lack of better term, it's in my head. And I, I say that very lightly because that sounds really bad. But ultimately, my brain was sending pain signals to an area of my body where there was no damage. It was sending the signals because there had been a neural pathway that was built that told my brain that, yes, there's pain there. So we need to, like, there's danger. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way of getting the message across because uh, for whatever reason, well, I can understand the, the reason, but someone saying, oh, it's just all in your head, um, has the people interpret that as you're making it up. Like, you know, it's not really there and you're just creating this scenario where, you know, it doesn't really help the person that's in pain. Um, it feels like people, they're not being heard. It feels like um, they're not, you know, people aren't really reciprocating or, um, emotionally connecting with with them but mm -hmm. explaining in that way like you have had this chronic injury that's really impacted you both physically mentally socially psychologically all of those sorts of things um somewhere along the line your brain has told yourself that there is a lot of danger there we need to be extremely careful when it comes to anything to do with that area because uh it's it's really raising that threat level and so the brain does a really good job of trying to protect your area, does it by, you know, sensitizing the area and also creating these connections that might not be there after six months, um, but can still manifest as pain. The, the brain has a really good job of wiring these sort of connections that can just, it doesn't need anything. It doesn't, it can spontaneously create pain if it thinks it needs pain there. And sometimes that's an overreaction um, and to your point, that's when, uh, you can have these random flare ups. That's why you can get symptoms on the other side. That's why mm -hmm. pain can go from the hamstring down to the knee, to the hip, to the back and all those sorts of things, just because the brain is really ramped up and 
yeah, could just manifest pain out of nowhere. And just trying to explain exactly how you've done really brilliantly is um, just letting people know that sure it's in your head, but all pain is in your head. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if you've rolled your ankle five minutes ago and it's painful, that pain is coming from your head. It's not coming from the actual tissues themselves. This is how pain gets distributed. It's just because the brain has perceived things um, and evaluated the threat levels, evaluated the need uh, for pain, and then has produced it accordingly because a lot of people have rolled their ankle, but they're in danger and they need to get away. There's no pain. But once everything calms down, the brain starts to say, okay, now the relevance is here for there to be pain. That's when pain will be produced. And so that's why understanding the pain science side of things is really helps sort of create the relevance or help see that connection helps that realization which you're slowly starting to uh shift your you you mentioned belief which i think is a really good word you're starting to shift your understanding of pain and the reason why all of this is manifesting and you're starting to see patterns and think thinking okay something's not right here uh but the journey starting with dr sarnos um is starting to make sense i guess would you would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's and looking back on it now, that's exactly what happened. I for months was hyper focused on the pain. Like I was constantly assessing it. I had a journal where I took detailed notes every day where I would rate my hamstring pain morning, noon, and night because I was trying to figure out what was caught, like where was the overload. And, you know, in some ways that's probably good, you know, if it if, if you're in a healthy state for rehab, but for me, it wasn't because I just fixated on it. And I think that my brain got into the, the neural pathway of like, there's danger because a lot of the work for TMS talks about when your body interprets danger, it's going to send pain because it's trying to protect you. And so my body kept thinking danger, danger, there's danger there. And because of that, that's why I was in pain. And I was, I was making it worse because I was constantly focusing on it. And when I think back to that race, I don't know how similar it was to the original workout that I did, the speed session where I felt at my left side, but I've, I've often wondered, I, you know, was that so similar to that same speed or that same distance that I did that my brain thought danger last time we did this, we had a sharp pain. And so that's kind of where, you know, that's why that signal went there because it, I don't think that there, I believe there was nothing wrong at that time to, to kind of push, push my, my pain there, but that's the kind of where I landed with, with all that. But yes, I definitely, my excessive focusing on the pain got me in a pain loop. Yeah. I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast and it's something that I've struggled with is trying to find out which clients I'm working with where documenting their symptoms is helpful. And when documenting the symptoms isn't helpful and I'm, I'm slowly getting better and better at okay, saying, okay, this isn't working. We need to do something else because you're hyper fixed on it. Um, trying to say, okay, maybe once a day we might evaluate the average of the pain, but don't associate any emotion to it. Just like just a very objective number. And then don't just don't think about it thereafter or just completely don't think about it, get distracted even like just um, because at uni, I remember learning, we did a lecture on neuroplasticity really Long word that just means that like your brain and your neural connections are plastic, meaning that they can 
morph into different things that can have serve different functions in different way that can behave differently with enough training and reinforcement and that sort of stuff. And they, they came up with the, it's the first term, the first time I heard the term um, when things fire together, they wire together. And yeah. those signals, essentially what it means is if you have a connection, if you have two things or a couple of things that you are reinforcing over and over and over again, then that connection is going to wire together. If they fire together, they wire together. And when you're talking about, as an example, if you had to go for a run and you were to be like, how's my pain, how's my pain, how's my pain every time that you run? And yep. those two things are being wired together because they're firing together. Run and pain, what is the connection between the two? You're sort of reevaluating every couple of minutes um, and every time you fire those two things, they're going to wire together. So when the injury gets better, that wiring is still there and the, the pain is going to get fired when you are running. But you can substitute that for sitting. You can substitute that for sitting on a firm surface or driving or um, any any other scenario, walking upstairs. Um, if you're constantly hyper-fixated, hyper-vigilant, reinforcing that pattern over and over and over again, um, that's essentially what's going to happen. The brain is plastic. The brain is going to associate those two things together and make that connection to the point where it can get so severe that people can think about walking upstairs and it will manifest pain um, just because those wires are there. Um, and so it doesn't, you don't need to physically do the thing to elicit pain in the same way that you don't have anything physical that's going on and go for a run and that pain can still be there. So that's how closely those things can eventually wire together. Um, I'm assuming you've heard about that, that concept of. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very familiar with it now. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, where do we dive in from here? Um, so you, I guess you started your journey. You've talked about the, your shifting of belief, reading. Was it reading a book by Dr. Sarnos? Um, So there was a couple things. So at this point in time, I was starting to think it was possible. And I was in the mindset of I really wanted to believe it, but I couldn't get there yet. And so um, there were kind of, there were two things that kind of, got me to move further in that direction. One, I went to see my, my physio kind of said like, I'm at a loss here. Like you need to go see a specialist. Um, and you know, very respectfully. And so I went to see a a hip orthopedic and they did an x-ray said, my hips look amazing. Did an MRI said my, you know, ironically, I have a little bit of degeneration in my right hamstring, but my left hamstring looks fine. And, you know, I know listening to your podcast, is not a good determiner of you know, what's going on down there anyways. But, um, they found a, a, a hip labrum tear in my left hip and they kept saying like, have you ever had hip pain? Have you ever, had? I was like, no, like am I knock on wood hips have never bothered me. So, you know, they thought maybe it was referral pain. So they gave me, um, a, a steroid injection in my hip and did nothing. And so that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, there's not, I know the MRI maybe isn't a great indicator, but for goodness sake, like, it's on my right side, not my left. So I started to question it more. Um, there is an app that is focused on mind body pain and it's called curable C U R A B L E. Um, you can get the free or the subscription version. And so I kind of started on there and what the app focuses on, um, are different areas. So journaling, meditation, brain training and exercises. Um, so brain training is like different things you can do when you're in pain, um, about the pain, 
and, or I'm sorry, that's the exercises. And then the brain training is education about what is TMS and how, like how it works, what's the science behind it. And it was a nice little app and I was trying it. Um, but looking back on it, I realized that I just like, I was too hyper-focused on the pain to, to put a dent in it. I was still laser focused on what was going on with my hamstrings. Um, so at that point, I, um, I, I did read a book and the book was called, um, the way out. I think it's by Alan Gordon and I'm getting a little more bought in. I want to believe it's, it's me. Um, and so I found a, a doctor who specializes in diagnosing patients with TMS. And it's hard because if you go to a regular doctor, they're probably going to give you like ibuprofen till you go to physical therapy and rest. So in order to really know, I found that you need to find someone who understands what this is. And, you know, I, I live in Alabama and I had, I had to have an appointment virtually with someone in California because they're, they're kind of few and far between. Um, but I had an appointment with him and he, um, he said, this sounds like classic TMS to me. I want to rule out one more thing. And he had me get a, an MRI, an MRI of my lower back. And so that came back perfectly fine. And he's like, yep. So at this point, like, I want you to journal, journal about your feelings, maybe see, you know, maybe find yourself a TMS therapist and like, just go from there. And I, I was at the point where I was, I was getting more bought in, but I felt like I wanted to try one more thing. And that's when I tried shockwave therapy. Um, and that was very expensive and it did not work. So I was getting shockwave therapy on my left hamstring, which was getting better. And my right hamstring was getting worse. And I found in my TMS journey, that's actually typical. Like if, you know, sometimes it, it will shift sides or shifts areas of the body, especially if you're doing something to focus on that area. Um, so I got to this point and I realized like, there's nothing else I can do other than dive into this TMS work. Like I have no other option. Um, and so that's when I found a therapist that specializes in TMS. Um, so her name is uh, Dr. Krista Schultz, and she's based out of California. Um, and there are, there are a n number of therapists, but I just, I found her online. Um, and she herself suffered from, and I'll use this lightly, overcame TMS. So she understood. And I started working with her in October of 2022. And that's when slowly over time, things really started to change. And I finally was, I was, I was believing it. Um, and I wasn't just wanting it to be true. Like I knew deep down inside that, that, that this was not structural anymore. And looking back on it, I think I had a real hamstring injury. Like it makes sense. And I think I did all the right things to rehab it, but I think my mind just stayed in that pain pathway, even like long after I was healed. And, and she, she helped me to see that. And, and we were, we worked and talked through a lot of things. If you, if you want me to go into that now. I want to like, just reinforce what you're saying before, uh, like listening to your story, I definitely think you had PHT to start with. Like, I think most athletes or, you know, if there's something that's makes mechanical sense initially, it's hard to dismiss that there's the, the TMS itself just manifested on its own. Um, but throughout your journey, like even listening to your, the months of having it and then the races and afterwards and all that sort of stuff, like it made mechanical sense. Like there's nothing to dismiss you having 
the PHT to start with. But mm-hmm. this is where we talk about, you know, it takes time for that um, TMS to sort of like have to take effect, like for the brain to start really changing how for that neuroplasticity to happen, for those things that fire together to start wiring together for you to, it's to, for it to start to impact you physically, mentally, socially, to sort of change your day-to-day stuff that takes months and months and like all of those signs that all those ingredients that need to be created for chronic pain and TMS and all those sort of things it needs time I find it especially in your sense especially along your story um, it seems like it's it definitely would take time for all of that to sort of all those ingredients to sort of come together to then shift and it seems like somewhere in your journey that did shift like things weren't making sense um your exercises weren't helping things you the shockwave wasn't helping like mris were clear the strength sessions were not responding like they once did um all of those sorts of things you were running faster you were doing sprints and your left hamstring was fine um uh those sorts of things like yeah it seems somewhere along the way so i wouldn't want a listener to listen to this and think you didn't have PhD to start with. Um, it was just something that, that sort of uh, evolved over time. And the other thing that I was going to say was um, the changing of your belief, like how much, how long this process took and how persistent you've been with, okay, let me see if it's something else. And then coming back to this whole thing. Okay. Let me see if it's something else and coming back to this thing. And slowly chipping away at that belief because it's so hard to change your beliefs. It's so hard to um, think of this thing as a physical entity and just trying to treat it physically, strength training, modifying your training, backing off your running, resting, all that sort of stuff to then shifting it towards this TMS stuff. Um, like it seems like you're just chipping away at an iceberg to eventually like, you know, for it to eventually crack. Um, And I'm just thinking everyone else, like that's a unique experience. That's that's, uh, extremely rare for you to go through that and then eventually buy into it and not only buy into it, but go all in on it. I think that's one in a thousand that someone with this sort of pain would eventually get there, but it just took you, like some seeds, some seeds of ideas, and then just mm-hmm. eventually grew. And then you took that away. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And really, um, like looking back on it, I could not have done this journey without my therapist. Like there are some people that's really what got me. She, like, she was slowly helping me build my belief because when I first went to her, I'm like, I think it's this, I really want it to be this because I don't know what else it could be. Because if you think about it, taking the actions to rehab an injury is easier than doing mind body work, especially because, you know, I'm, I'm sure you would agree. There's a certain type of prescription you give for an injury and you know, why there are variables with each individual. That's, that's what there's a protocol. And for TMS or for mind body pain, it's much more unique to the individual and what their experience is, why, like, how did, why did this pain come about, which I'll kind of get into that in a little bit. Um, but I, I definitely could not have done it without her because she, the working with her got me to build my belief because I, I wanted it to be structural because I know what to do and, you know, working through emotions and 
um, different pat like past childhood events. I'll, I'll get into that. Um, talking through like my personality trait and how that affects my life. Like that's not easy to do. And there's no like manual on like you do this exercise mentally when you have this going on. Like it's, it's, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, and, but I, I couldn't have done it without her. Um, but did you want me, you want me to go into kind of what, what I talked about with her? Please. Yeah. As much as you're willing to share, um, because you've mentioned two things, you've mentioned, um, the personality side of things and you've mentioned the past trauma side of things. So whatever you want to start with. Yeah. So, um, TMS or mind body pain, it happens for different reasons to different people. So for some people it's stress, um, that, that can cause this to come about. Some people it's past experiences, some people it's personality, and there's also other things, but for me, it's my personality type and my past experiences. And so when I first started with her, she kind of described our work as we were going to look, we were going to go in a house with a flashlight and we were going to look in all the rooms just to see what we find. And so slowly over time, things were coming up that I was talking through with her. So as far as my, you know, my, my childhood and my past experiences, when I looked back on my life as a child, I didn't really see a lot wrong with it. And I was like, I was fine. I toughed through it. Yeah, we had some hardships. Like, yeah, at one point, like, we didn't have a lot of money. I had a sister with autism. Um, my parents, you know, they didn't neglect me, but they didn't have a lot of time for me emotionally to invest in me. And and I just looked back on that as like, okay, that's it, it was what it was, and I am who I am now, and it's fine. But in working with her, I realized that the things I experienced as a child – have molded me into how I manage my emotions today. So for example, um, I mentioned I have a sister with autism. When I was younger, she was very violent. And so she would often have violent outbursts. And there were a lot of times when I physically had to step in and restrain her. And, you know, just a lot of things that I didn't think affected me, but now I understand how that affects me today and my emotions. Um, and, maybe backtracking a little bit here, but a lot of TMS work has to do with you are expressing an emotion that you have not been able to process physically in your body and it's manifesting as pain. And so for me, what I've learned is when I was young, there was a lot going on and I couldn't handle it. So I put up these walls and I did not deal with the, like I didn't know I had emotions and I didn't deal with them. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel angry. I felt nothing. I just had to persevere. And I have taken that now into my adulthood. And honestly, I'm not a very emotional person. I'm like business type of, you know, person. And now I understand why. And I see now that I've had all of these emotions that have built up over the years that I didn't know I had. And I had no idea how to express because that is the mechanism that my brain used to survive. And so that manifesting with this injury was a channel for my body to put some of the emotions, you know, to express some of the emotions that I myself had not been expressing. And, you know, I know this sounds kind of crazy and I honestly wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me, but that, that, that was the experience I had. And so, for example, one day I was having a session with my therapist and I was, um, I was sharing something, you know, about my childhood. And I remember like, my dad got, and I will say my pain that day was like a two. 
And my, um, my dad, I was talking about how my dad got really angry one day and I, he likes, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was crying and I was upset and my hamstring felt like it was on fire out of nowhere. And, and it like that, that, um, structurally makes no sense. Like, you know, just sitting, I had been sitting for 30 minutes, all of a sudden it was on fire. And I, you know, I said to my, I was explaining this to my therapist and she's like, this is, um, this is, this is building your belief bank is what she called it. She's like, this is a perfect example. She's like, can you explain structurally why that would happen? And I was like, no. And she said, it's because you're trying to express an emotion and this is how your body knows how to express it is through this pain signal. And so, um, I had a lot of moments like that working with her and just, you know, uh, and learning about myself, why I am the way I am, you know, why I think and act the way I do, and just processing a lot of the things that happened in my childhood that at the time I wasn't capable of processing. Um, so that's kind of the one side of the house. And then the other side is personality type. So a lot of times, one of the most common um, factors in someone that experiences this type of pain is being a perfectionist and having a type A personality. And, you know, I fit the bill 100%. Like, um, I I know they have a lot of different surveys you can take. And anytime I take one, it's like 99.9% perfectionists. And I'm sure that's pretty common in the running community. Like I know a lot of people that are similar and, you know, I just, I didn't realize how much the pressure I put on myself affected me. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that I like to take on a lot of things. Um, I, I want to do them all. I want to do them well. I had this really high bar in my performance in running and, and looking back now, I know it was unhealthy and, you know, I'm by no means some professional runner, but to me, I had this bar that I had to meet. And if I didn't meet it, I was a failure. And so that's feeding into this mind body pain as well. This, this pressure that doesn't have an outlet to go into. So it's going into a pain outlet. And so those two things are, you know, what I worked through. And I, I still do work through with her. Um, and, you know, slowly over time, my pain, it started to get better. And so I got to a point where uh, I would, I would have pain-free days, which was wild. Like never in my wildest dreams by that, uh, you know, a couple months ago, did I ever think I'd be sitting down saying I had a pain-free day. And so it was getting better. Um, Can I ask like how long into like fully buying into this, um, maybe not like the pain-free. Well, when did you start to notice that this could be helping you like shifting your pain in a positive direction? How long did that take? And then how long did it take before you had your first pain-free day? Just like timeframes. It probably took about four months, which was frustrating um, because I was like, all right, I'm going to have like three sessions and I'm going to be good. That is not how it worked. I, I, I met with her every day or I'm sorry, not every day, every week, every week. Um, and so it probably took about four months until I was like, oh my God, I had like a pain-free four hours. Like I had an hour where I didn't think about my hamstring and then it turned into like, oh my gosh, there was a whole day that was probably at the five or six month mark. And it was at the, I would say around the eight month mark of working with her. That's when I started to mostly be pain-free. Um, and so but that, that's, that's kind of the, the road that it took to get there. And I will say this, it was the hardest thing I've ever worked through. Like, and it's, it's just, you know, 
I didn't realize how, how much I repressed emotions. And I know that sounds really cliche, but it, it was just the most difficult experience that I've ever been through to, to kind of get to get the belief, talk about things that I didn't realize I didn't want to talk about um, to get me where I am today. But kind of the final thing that the final hurdle I had to cross was um, changing my mindset about my strength training. Um, so if you want, I'll kind of, I'll go into that now, if that's... Definitely do. Yes. Okay. So I was at a point where I was pain-free every day, except when I strength trained. And it was driving me nuts because I, I knew I had switched my mindset and I knew that when I went to the gym, what I was doing was not causing structural pain. I knew that it was my mind-body pain. And so I worked, I, and I had talked to her about this and I was frustrated. And basically what you have to do is you have to stop thinking about the pain. And you have to stop caring about the pain. And that is so hard to do. Like you tell somebody who's been in chronic pain for weeks, months, years to stop thinking about the pain when it's all they can think about. It's all, it's, it's nearly impossible. And that's why I recommend a a mental health professional. But, um, and so I narrowed it down to, I had become afraid of strength training and I had become stressed about it. And I was doing it because part of the mind body work is to continue with your daily activities to teach your, your body that like it's safe. Um, but I just like every morning I would wake up and I would dread it and I would get out of bed and I love, I love lifting, but I knew it would cause me pain. And I, I figured out that, that my mind attached strength training with danger. And so I needed to, what she called decouple that I needed to break that, that cycle. And so I, I, you know, I tried a bunch of different things. Um, but in the end I said, okay, when I say strength training, I get immediately get anxiety and I need to change that. So I started calling it muscle training and conditioning. So I wrote that in my workout log. I use that verbiage. When someone asked me what I was doing today, I had a muscle training and conditioning session. I would go to the gym. I would start to feel pain and I would say, nope, this is fake news because th- I said I'm, I'm doing muscle, muscle training and conditioning and that like, I've never done that before. There's no reason for that to cause pain. And as simple as that sound, it took a couple weeks and slowly, like, I stopped having pain. And I remember one day I got up, I went to the gym, I did my workout, I drove home, and I was halfway through the day and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even think about it. Like, didn't even cross my mind that that's what I was doing. When before, like, I would be anxious about it the night before going to bed. And mm-hmm. so that was the, the last big breakthrough that I had to kind of get me over the hump to, to really start seeing like true pain-free days. Yeah. It, it goes exactly back to that. What fires together, wires together, just talking like there's so many things that you said in that, um, that just made me think of that. Like as soon as you, as soon as you thought about strength training, you got anxiety. That's again, building up that connection. Um, as soon as like you do an exercise, you'd have fear of doing that exercise because of the fear of pain. That's reinforcing those two, those two things to fire together. And like, just going back to PHT and clients, how many people have fear about doing deadlifts and like how many people have fear about, um, because they've had a flare up in the past or because they've, um, been told that 
It's um, the, or the, the fear of like re-rupturing or tearing or doing more damage. Like I hear that all the time and that's, again, reinforcing those patterns, reinforcing those neural pathways. And the only way to sort of overcome that is to either like to do it, but to do it um, sensibly, but trying to break that pattern, reframing it is such a, a good uh creative way of addressing that um even if you're just telling yourself oh this is my like neural reconnection session where i'm now like trying to break my previous patterns and reinforce a new pattern i'm going to think about everything positive to do this work workout and i'm going to constantly think about everything positive while i'm doing this workout um i've had people go for a run and just constantly reinforce everything that's positive to do with that run, like fresh air, the, um, you know, listening to the birds, getting some air in your lungs. Um, don't think about anything else apart from all the good things to do with that run and reinforcing like something because, you know, we're talking about the downside of what fires together, wires together. We're talking about this, what develops into chronic pain is reinforcing two things, uh, reinforcing something with pain so that, you know, over time that just molds into one connection, but the neuroplasticity and what fires together, wires together can work in your favor. You can use it to your advantage by trying to force, by trying to fire two things at once. When you're sitting, think about all the positive things of sitting. Think about all the things you can get back to. Think about all the, um, all those sorts of things. And then you're wiring two connections together with enough time with, it might take months, but with constant reinforcement, you are then wiring two positive things together. Um, so yes, can be used to your advantage, but you do need to change that belief system. You do need to buy into it. You can't, it, it needs to be a belief. You need to believe that you're doing something positive. Um, if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it without believing it, that's not going to work, which is the unfortunate thing, but um, does take a bit of time to, um, yeah to work that out. Do you have, um, I did want to get back to that personality stuff. Uh, are you okay if we touch on that? Is there anything to add? Uh, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just for me, like as far as perfectionism and being a type a person, I just, you know, I didn't know this, but it shows up in every aspect of my life. So at first I was like, yeah, obviously running, like I want to be the best. I have goals, but it was the same at work. Like, the bar that I have for myself versus like, what's the bar for the expectation for my job? Um, just like in with my friends, you know, um, with keeping my life organized, planning, like I'm a big planner. And I, I just realized that, you know, perfectionism is not a realistic goal, that no one is perfect. And, you know, also something else feeding into perfectionism is perfectionism is black and white thinking. It's this, it's that, it's good or bad. And that's just that, you know, I love that. And that's like where I'm comfortable, but that's not the way the world works. And so those kind of things are also feeding into um, like stressors and anxiety that I have. And if you had asked me, like, do you ever get stressed or anxiety? My answer would have been no. And I believe that like, no, I, I'm good. Like nothing really stresses me. And it's because I wasn't my, allowing myself to feel that. Like it was, it was inside, but I wasn't allowing it to come out. And so that, that's something that we work through too. Yeah. There's so many examples that I can see with 
the clients that I work with, um, I've said this on the podcast before, so nothing new, but just so strange that the, the people that have chronic pain who also have a history of anxiety, depression, um, something traumatic in their past, like that, that, that correlation I see is astronomical. It's so common. Um, but on the opposite side of things, like I see these really weirdly optimistic people and they respond really well to treatment um, more so than what I expect. And um, I've said, I said this in when I used to work in clinics, the type of people that would come in and say, oh, I'm not much better, but I'm not much worse thanks to you. And like, would just frame it in a different way who would be like extremely optimistic for, you know, the, you could just tell that's their personality. And for whatever reason, like, you know, it only takes some weeks and they're like resoundingly better that like, a lot better than I would expect. Um, happy-go-lucky people, like, I don't know, there's something, there's some sort of um, connection there, but goes back to what you were talking about. It's all about expressing and processing your emotions. Um, I, I tend to think about it now as like people have a default state of how they express it. Obviously, um, different ways. There, there's so many different ways people can express and um process their emotions but if someone has I, I know a lot of people a lot of in my close circle that have a history of anxieties social anxieties and all those sorts of things um cl- like family members and those sorts of things they process differently like they will quickly spot the um they'll quickly catastrophize a lot they'll quickly like mm-hmm. see the dangers and quickly see what potentially could happen all the threats that are around all the th- you know, whereas I don't think about it at all. Like that really is their default state. And so if that type of person gets pain and has that pain for six months, it's going to be very, very likely, well, more likely that they will start to associate uh, pain and certain things. They'll start to sit and think about all the negative stuff we're sitting. Uh, They'll start to run and think about all the negative stuff of running. They'll start to... um, that those uh what am i saying those connections will will mm-hmm. ease will form more easily in that type of personality that default personality the way they think compared to someone who is thinking that the complete opposite those optimistic type of people um so that's tend to what i think about and I, I see that connection straight away with a lot of the clients that i work with um and so what you're explaining and what you're working through with your therapist makes perfect sense for me um because it is just that wiring and that connection and why working through it. The only way you can do it is by working through your past emotions or not your past emotions, your past experiences and how you are now processing your emotions and expressing your emotions. Cause you, even you said at the start, like you didn't talk about this a lot um, to people, even though it was making you angry, it was making you frustrated. And the only time like you did talk about it occasionally, but wasn't really met with good advice. And so, um, that shows your personality and how you were trying to manage it yourself, even though you had this cognitive dissonance, this like it was threatening your identity, you're a runner, you were wanting to get faster, you wanted to better yourself, you had this perfectionistic sort of outlook of improving and you weren't getting that. If anything, it was like taking it away and creating more and more of that void of where you want to be and what you have to take away and all that sort of stuff. Um, you can yeah, exactly. Sort of this overall picture of why it would manifest the way it did. 
Yeah, and, like, looking back on it, when I grew up, like, I had to take care of myself. Not, like, I wasn't neglected or abandoned, but I emotionally had to take care of myself because no one else was going to do it. And that that that's how I am now. And that's, you know, I always operate in the mindset, like, don't complain about it unless you're going to try to fix it. And And so that's why I had that. That's why I didn't really share with people because I was like, you know what? I just got to just deal with this. I just need to deal with it and figure it out. And, you know, I now know that it wasn't healthy, but it was so helpful to talk to somebody who experienced, you know, she, she didn't have the same experience as me. She had migraines. So that was her TMS symptom. Um, but just someone who understood what it's like to be in chronic pain, what it's like to be working through this process, how difficult it is. It just like, I felt a relief from that alone, even though I didn't feel a relief from the pain. I felt a relief that like I wasn't alone and someone understood. As we wrap things up, I want to know two things. I want to know what are some current strategies that you're now doing to help with this and what have you managed to return back to? Okay. Um, so what I'm currently doing is um, it's mostly a lot of mindset work. So I'm, I'm pretty much pain-free. I will say I have like flashes of very low pain but it doesn't last very long because, you know, I know I'm still working through the process and it's not, it's not based in um, a structural problem. So it comes and goes very sporadically, very short periods of time. Um, and then uh, what was the other one? What have you, so what are you currently oh, doing? What, am I what currently sort of strategies doing? And, what, and what have you returned back to? Um, so I've returned back to um, running at pretty much full capacity. So I have a coach. Um, this year I did a half marathon. I did my second marathon. And then right now I'm training for a 50 miler, which is in October. So I've really gotten back. I'm doing everything I want to do. Um, and I'm doing it a lot smarter. So I'm, I'm using an 80, 20 training program. I'm doing my easy runs easy so that I can do my hard runs hard. I'm focusing on recovery. So I'm, I'm really back to everything that I want to do. Yeah. Excellent. Um, one final bit of advice that I'd like to, to mention to people is like this TMS stuff, while some people may dismiss it if they are responding mechanically. So if they are, if all their pain makes sense with the load, load relationship, um, this sort of stuff can still be effective. Like if you're processing your emotions, if you're processing your thoughts with pain and, um, if you're like journaling or doing meditation or breathing or just understanding the pain a little bit more, you are then giving yourself an added advantage for recovery. I think we, we shouldn't just dismiss this sort of stuff just because just if it is an acute injury, if you strained your hamstring doing a sprint and you've been trying to manage it for a couple of weeks, I think there is still a lot of relevance and a lot of, opportunity to accelerate your healing if you understand this sort of stuff um i've been like just last week with mackenzie six weeks old at the stage i started getting a lot of low back pain and really helped like i was reinforcing my positive side of things and i could have easily negatively gone through what about if this gets work mackenzie's only going to get heavier what about if i can't what if, if I have to take all the strain onto Megan? What about if I can't work? What about if I get a loss of income? Like that sort of stuff is can manifest in people who mm -hmm. naturally have those sort of um, catastrophizing thoughts. But constantly thinking about the positives, thinking about what I can do, trying to be proactive in terms of stretches and like having an action plan. 
not really thinking about the pain too much. Um, and, you know, just understanding it's, I'm 99% better now, but the, even just in these acute circumstances, I remember I had shoulder pain for a couple of months. I had a tendinopathy and to your point, talking about your dad's experience and you started getting this fiery sort of burn in your hamstring. I had the same thing because it was basketball that initially brought it on. And then I, I'll never forget, I had it for a couple of months and then had was feeling a lot better. I'd say like a week or two pain-free. And then I got a text message. I was driving home. I got a text message. I probably shouldn't have looked at my phone, but I did <laughs> um, <laughs> about my friend who said, they need me to play basketball tonight. Can you fill in and play basketball? And I just read that message and I started getting radiating mild pain in my shoulder just yeah. because I had associated those two together. And I only had pain for, had that injury for a couple of months, but you know, nothing that I would connect with a chronic injury, but these things are there. Um, so trying to break that down, trying to understand the concept of this, this plays a role in a lot of pain. Yes, it becomes more significant in other pain presentations, but it's mm -hmm. still there for almost every pain that I can think of. So um, I think this is a message for a lot of people. Um, any other final tips or takeaways before we wrap this up? Um, I think kind of maybe one of the messages that like I have kind of instilled on myself is the body's meant to heal. Like the body is such a like amazing machine and it's so fascinating to me, the, the role that the mind plays in what we feel, how we feel it, why we feel it. And so um, just something to keep in mind. And then one of the, one takeaway that I would give is, you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups for PHT and they can be helpful or they can be really hurtful. And for me, they were very hurtful because it's a lot of, a lot of doom and gloom. And so just remember that you're on your own journey. And, you know, if you feel like, if you feel like you're stuck, don't give up, keep looking for the right person to get you where you need to go. Um, I don't want everyone listening to this podcast to think like, oh, it must be a mind body thing. Like, you know, you know, you have to do the work first to get to the point where, where you can definitively say that's what it is, but just know it's an avenue and that, you know, you're not alone, whether it's just PHT or whether it is a mind body issue, like there, there are other people out there that are struggling too, and, and you can, you can make it work and you can overcome it on your yep. journey. Well said. I think purely by design, if you get thousands of people into a, a room and they all have pain of a certain condition, it's going to be the ones that are, it's going to be the ones that are, um, in the, the worst off that are looking for the most answers. They're the ones trying to shout the questions and trying to get the answers as much as possible. And when you have enough people in that room, that's what's going to appear. Um, it's going to be mm -hmm. seemingly all doom and gloom, seemingly. Um, but yeah. that's they're the, one, they're the people that need the answers. They're the ones that are asking the questions the loudest. And um, someone can easily have a look at a group of thousands of people and then read and see all of these posts it's just because the the ones that are doing really well, they're not on Facebook. They're not in those groups anymore. Like, yes, they're yeah. probably attending, but they're not posting. Um, yeah, I'm not posting in any of the groups. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, and it's extremely rare for someone to have success, to be back to running, and then go back into the group to help other people because they don't want to be in that world again. They don't want to be back in that, the mm -hmm. doom and gloom. They don't want to throw themselves back into the doom and gloom. So just naturally that's, what's going to filter down. So just 
keep that in mind. That's why I have these success stories on the podcast. And that's why we try and spread as much positivity in the podcast as we can to try and create a different angle, create a, a new sense of belief, a new positive outlook. And a lot of the success stories have been through the ringer. They have been through 12 plus months of significant pain and have managed to overcome it. So this mm-hmm. is a perfect example and a very different take, which is why I'm very glad that you reached out to me um, to jump on and share your story. And so thanks for coming on. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power.